Chris, and welcome to you if you're new or visiting with us this morning. It's uh, lovely to have you here. Ben Gray is my name, the Minister of the Church, and uh, it's a good morning to be with us. We're beginning a new series. Well, kind of a new series. It's a series that we've been working on uh, for three Easter's now. Uh, we started looking together at Luke's historical account of Jesus' life back at Christmas 2019, as you well know. Uh, so while it's a new series, it's actually Sermon 34 in our travels through Luke's Gospel. Uh, I don't think that's a problem if you're just joining with us, I think you'll still be able to follow it and hopefully get something out of it. Uh, but it does mean that you might want to go back and read through the rest of Luke's account, particularly leading up to Easter, uh, to familiarise yourself with Luke's account, his historical account of Jesus' life, his death and his resurrection. Uh, if you want some help with that, uh, there's loads of people here who would love to read Luke's Gospel with you. Uh, if that's a bit too intimidating, you can go back to our podcast and listen to all 33 other sermons uh, along the way. Back in chapter 1, uh, a couple of years ago, Luke told us that he wrote this account of Jesus' life, this biography, so that people would have certainty about Jesus. It's one of the most important things you could ever do in life, gain certainty about who Jesus is and what he has done. And this record is that of an eyewitness account, the eyewitnesses to Jesus who were there with him. And like any good biography, Luke doesn't include every time Jesus sneezed or ate a bad sandwich. His highly structured account outlines for us the true stories of Jesus' life that will help us see him for who he is and give us certainty about what it means for us as God, for him to be God's only chosen king. So this biography, it's a true story with a high level of importance for you and for me and for the whole world. Uh, there's a play on words in our series, if you throw that slide up, Levi, oh, it's up. That screen's not working. Uh, passion for life. Uh, there's a bit of a play on words going on there, which is important, because humanity, you and I, we have a passion for life, as in we long for a fulfilling, a long, a happy, a rich life. And the pursuit of that life is frustrating and it is futile because of our sin. Because of our broken relationship with God, that quest becomes impossible. That quest for a rich, full and everlasting life becomes impossible because of just how fractured our relationship with our Creator God is, because of our sin. And that's where the play on words comes in, because Jesus' passion, His suffering and death is the means by which that fracture is mended and that relationship is reconciled. And that, that gap is bridged, that Jesus' passion, his suffering and death is what will bring life and all its fullness. The extraordinary events of Jesus' birth, the cosmic explosion, remember in the Christmas story, the cosmic explosion, the armies of angels, the supernatural conception, all of that uh, throughout Luke's Gospel account, has spoken of God Himself breaking into His world in the person of His Son in an event that is of epic proportions. 
And Jesus confirmed the cosmic scale of what God was doing in the person of Jesus in the way that he taught, in the life that he lived, in the way that he confronted religious hypocrisy and cared for the poor, in the way that he proclaimed the good news of the gospel. Jesus has done nothing but confirm for us through Luke's gospel account that he is God's one and only saviour king who should be trusted and served and relied upon for that life that we so desperately need and that we crave. But in chapter 9, verse 51, where we were in January 2021, as Jesus had been revealing God to the world and speaking with God's authority and healing the sick and caring for the poor and confronting religious hypocrisy, back in chapter 9, verse 51, Jesus then turned and he set his face towards Jerusalem and then he walked the long and dusty road towards Jerusalem, which would be for him not some holiday destination and it wasn't a political manoeuvre. Jesus was going there to die. And that was his self-conscious reason for going to Jerusalem. He was very much aware that arriving in Jerusalem would be arriving at his death at the hands of evil people. And so last Easter... We finished off this section in Luke's Gospel with these words from chapter 18, verse 31, which you can see on the screen, where Jesus took the twelve aside and he told them, we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man, that's Jesus, will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles, they will mock him, insult him and spit on him. It's awful. And it gets worse. And they will flog him. And they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise again. Jesus was fully aware that his journey towards Jerusalem is the journey towards the cross and the empty tomb. And all along this road that Jesus has walked with his disciples and that we followed along and listened in with, He has been getting the expectations of his followers and of you and me right about what it means for him to be king, the king who would suffer and die and rise again, and what it would mean for men and women and children to belong to his eternal kingdom. Jesus has been changing and setting and rectifying everyone's expectations as best he could. In the lead up to his suffering and death, And as we pick it up at chapter 19, verse 28, where we read that after Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. We've reached the end of the journey. We pick it up at the start of this series, just a couple of k's outside of Jerusalem, where Jesus arrives as king, and where he will die as saviour, and where he will rise to everlasting life. It's now time for those expectations that Jesus has been talking about to be fulfilled. It's now time for Jesus to do what he said he was going to do. It's now time for the king to be enthroned, for the saviour to bring his rescue. And for Jesus, all of that happens at the cross. 
where he dies for the sins of the world and rises to everlasting life. Can't think of anything better to spend the next month thinking about in the lead up to Easter than Jesus the Saviour and King who we so desperately need and who God so graciously provides for us. And so here's what I want us to see this morning, which you'll see on the screen. This is the sermon. We want to see receiving Jesus, the King who brings peace, rejecting Jesus, the blasphemous imposter, and Jesus' challenge, reject or receive the King. It's stark and it's clear. It's beautiful and it's life-changing. Let's have a look then at Jesus, receiving Jesus, the King who brings peace. Uh, It's highly significant, this moment, as Jesus arrives at Jerusalem uh, and he has orchestrated it and he's choreographed it and he's made sure that it fulfills all of God's promises that there can be no mistake that Jesus arrives as the Saviour and King. The events that are unfolding according to God's plan and they're completely within Jesus' control. And so Jesus' divine insight and his choreography lead him to send his two followers up the road, go to the village, verse 30, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one's ever written, untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. And that's exactly as it happens, as Jesus then rides this donkey, or as Luke calls it, the colt, towards the city. Those following him express their adoration and they express their recognition of Jesus' authority by laying their cloaks in front of him on the ground and joyfully singing, as we've already sung together, the hallelujah songs of the psalm. And for astute kind of Old Testament readers, which these pilgrims would have been as they're heading up to Jerusalem at the time of the Passover, as they're remembering God's promises and the prophecies of the Saviour and King, and they long for the day when Jerusalem would be freed from their oppressors. Jesus makes sure that his riding into Jerusalem fulfills the prophecy of Zechariah that says the Messiah will come humbly, Gently riding on a donkey. Have a look at verse 37. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen on the road to Jerusalem with this Jesus. And they say, quoting Psalm 38, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Uh, If you remember back to the angels singing at Jesus' birth, we have echoes of exactly the same things. Those expectations are still in the air. The mission of Jesus hasn't changed. And yet there's a difference, isn't there? If you're familiar with what we sing at Christmas, often it's peace on earth rather than peace in heaven. The reality is that Jesus is the Saviour King who would bring those two things together. 
the peace of heaven and the peace of earth as he reunites what sin had divided. That the perfect peace that we long for in heaven is brought to earth in order that one day heaven and earth might be perfectly united once again. Jesus comes to reunite heaven and earth to reconcile God and humanity. That's the peace that Jesus the King comes to bring for all who would trust and follow him. The perfect peace of God's heavenly kingdom. The peace that we've prayed about. The peace that we long for. The peace that our world is crying out for. Jesus the King arrives to make possible. To bring a heavenly peace that means the end of all wars. The heavenly peace that means the end of death and disease. The heavenly peace that brings rest and safety that so many of our homes even cannot provide. The heavenly peace where perfect justice is done where division and inequality have no place. Is that not the peace that we cry out for? That image on the screen is just a stock image of the bus stop at Petersham Station. I don't know the person in the picture, but it makes me think of the people I see sitting there regularly one of whom I was chatting to in the car park yesterday, whose life is so troubled, who every day longs for safety and rest. Or the person I spoke to during the week who is so sad and so stressed, who longs for a breather from the turmoil. Or who makes me think of the man whose family I was emailing with this morning who died alone in his Crystal Street room this week. And the stench of his dead body is the only thing that made people go looking. Not to mention the -the run-of-the-mill disappointments, the dissatisfaction that plague our minds, that weigh down our days even as we watch global conflict and natural disasters wipe out anyone in their path. Friends, do we not need the peace that comes down from heaven to reunite our broken world and to reconcile God with humanity? And Jesus rides in humility and gentleness a donkey into Jerusalem. Not with a 17-mile convoy of armoured vehicles. He's not invading a city. He doesn't come with military power or political prowess. He comes in gentleness and humility. He comes in compassion and care. He comes in love and in justice. He comes in truth and in righteousness. He comes in sacrificial service to address the cause of human sin 
and God's righteous judgment. He comes not to just address those symptoms that we can't help but see all around us. He comes to address the cause, the human sin and God's righteous judgment as he sacrificially lays down his life for the world. In order to bring the peace that we so long for and only he can provide as the heavenly king who reconciles the world to God. Jesus is the only heavenly king who can bring this peace. And his uniqueness and his sufficiency and his supremacy is what gets the Pharisees' backs up. He's claiming to be God. And people are calling him that as he rides into Jerusalem. Shut them up, Jesus. They're giving you glory. They're giving you the glory that belongs to God and God alone. Shut them up, Jesus. And Jesus, the King of creation, says, if they keep quiet, the rocks themselves will cry out. Because the peace of Jesus' mission is something that creation itself is groaning for. It's something that we don't decide is necessary. It's something that we cannot create. It's not something that we can decide is true. It's not something that we can opt in for. It is objective. It is what Jesus is doing. It is who Jesus is. And whether you recognise it or not, it doesn't make it not true. There's lots of negatives in that sentence. It's true whether you recognise it or not. And it's happening whether you recognise it or not, Jesus says to the Pharisees. And doesn't it speak to the awfulness of sin and the brokenness of our world and the self-centredness of our hearts that when Jesus, the King of creation, the Prince of Peace, walks into Jerusalem to reconcile God and humanity, to unite heaven and earth once again, what does humanity do? Plot ways to kill and get rid of him. Tell him to get out of the way of their religious systems and their selfish plans. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, the King of Creation, enters into Jerusalem and is met simply with cynicism and rejection and the idolatry of people. And as is so often the case, it's people who should have known better, who have studied the Scriptures, who know God's purposes and God's promises, And the identity and mission of the Prince of Peace should have been obvious to them as it was for those who had been walking along the road, who had seen Jesus' miracles, who had listened to his word and who longed to enter into his kingdom. Jesus is violently rejected by the religious leaders of the day because he gets in the way of their self-righteous plans, their money-making schemes, 
and their religious systems that keep them in power. Instead of teaching and praying and warning and encouraging people in the temple, they'd pursued their own selfish hearts, hungry for power, hungry for money, grabbing at their self-righteous status all in a show that has nothing to do with the mission of God's Saviour King. Jesus responds to that kind of hypocrisy with a self, with a, not a self-righteous, with a divine righteous anger. And he drives them out of the temple in order that he might teach them there every day in the lead up to his death, with people hanging on the very words of God as Jesus speaks from the Bible. But Jesus also confronts the cynicism, the rejection and the idolatry of people with absolute grief. It's easy to get angry at cynicism. It's easy to get angry at rejection. It's easy to get angry at the idolatry that's all around us and in us. But I wonder if we can take from Jesus this morning that sense of grief as he weeps and wails over a city that is lost and rebellious and dying under the weight of their own sin. A city that doesn't look too different from ours. A city that is lost and dying. A city that is cynical and idolatrous. And is crying out, for the peace of heaven to invade our hearts. Jesus weeps over Jerusalem because they will not receive the Prince of Peace, the King of Creation who comes to reconcile them to God. And so friends, I wonder how you would receive Jesus this Easter time. whether the cynicism of your own heart has hardened you towards his peace, whether the idolatry of those things that you are clinging to and worshipping with your life make you stumble over Jesus, who is the only hope that this world could ever have. And I wonder if you belong to Jesus, if you've trusted in him for the forgiveness of your sins, if you're longing for his kingdom to come in all its fullness and for heaven and earth to be reunited and for that eternal peace to be finally here in all its fullness, if you're longing for that, whether you will weep and wail for the lostness of those around you, who will either be crushed by God's judgment in righteousness and truth or who will be welcomed in to his eternal peace to enjoy him forever when heaven and earth are reunited 
if I told you we'd bitten off a bit more than we can chew this morning, I'll leave the rest of the passages to you. But I want you to sit with that challenge to receive or to reject Jesus, the King of Peace, and to weep and to wail over the lostness of our world, even as we seek to hold out the life and the hope that Jesus, the Prince of Peace, dies to make available to you and me. Why don't we pray together? Our Father, we thank you so much that Jesus has come. That he has come to bring the heavenly peace that our world and our lives cry out for. We pray that you would help us to receive him as we trust in what he has done that we might long for the day when he will come again and the perfection of your kingdom will be enjoyed as heaven and earth are reunited. Please help us to long for the reconciliation of those around us to you. Help us to meet the cynicism, the idolatry, the rejection that we see, that we hear, that we experience. Help us to meet it with grief, with compassion and with truth. We pray that you would do this for Jesus' sake. Amen.